As the world becomes more polarized and distorted from reality, Big Red for America breaks down a new concept, value, or debate so you can better understand the history and facts. Using historical data, basic logic, and common sense, we supply honesty and clarity around today's political topics, value sets, and cultural discourse. This is the Big Red for America show. Hello and welcome to the Big Red for America show. This is Big Red, of course. I just wanted to reach out and tell you guys that I'm sorry that we didn't have a podcast last week. We had some technical if difficulties on this podcast. And I really wanted to get finish up this podcast and make it as best as it could be because we actually interview a very, very special guest this week, Mike Chapman. So thank you guys for all your patience and please enjoy this wonderful and insightful podcast that we have with a dear personal friend, Mike Chapman. Hello, this is Big Red, and welcome to the Big Red for America show. We have a special guest on with us this week. We have a local school board member, Mike Chapman, who serves the people in Canton, Georgia. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for coming on, Mike. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and to have you on this on this show as a contributor. So I just wanna start out, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I live in Canton, Georgia, and I'm on the uh, Cherokee County School Board in uh, in Georgia. We're the uh, seventh or eighth largest system in the in the um, state of Georgia. I've been here for thirty something years. Been on the board for almost twenty years, um, and uh, basically um, came from Ohio, moved to Georgia. You know, job challenges and changes, and uh, and this is where we've been for for quite a while. So I've been pretty active in the community and, uh, and as you said, on the school board. Awesome. What got you started? Why did you run the run for school board? Well, that's it, an interesting thing. You got to go way back in time since it's been 18, 20 years. But uh, we had a we had a dysfunctional, we had two things. We had a dysfunctional school board. We had some school board members that were fighting in public and doing some crazy stuff, as well as schools, a school system that Although they, they performed okay, uh, really needed to, to make some advancements as far as um, their capabilities and their facilities and, and so forth. And I just felt that I could contribute. I, I had some experience dealing with the local technical college uh, system of Georgia and running a business where I needed to hire people that had decent and uh, reasonable high school education. So that, that kind of drew me drew me into the uh, school board situation. So so essentially you wanted to run just to, just to see if you can make the Canton, the Cherokee County school system better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I I, uh, I felt I had the skill set that could help. I uh, wanted to get engaged in my, I was engaged. I wanted to get engaged in my commu- community to help the school system. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it both both helped my business, and I had two two boys that uh, youngsters that were coming up and were in the school system. So I mean, all the motivations there to to you know really have an impact. So you, in talking about your desire to run, um, you kind of brought up dealing with school facilities, dealing with stuff like that. So what would you say? And I'm sure this is different in different parts of the country. But the role of a school board member. Well. Um, over all these years, I've been involved with uh, 
some organizations that allow me to meet people around the country. So most states have similar rules, but of course they're not all going to be the same. So speaking, speaking as it relates to Georgia, a school board member has a limited um, range of duties that they're allowed to, to deal with. And those would be primarily four. One of them is to set the budget for the school system each year and approve the budget. Another would be to set policy for the school system. Uh, a third would be to hire a superintendent, or as I call them, a CEO. Uh, and then the fourth would be to advocate for your school system, meaning working with your state legislature and other um, um, people that have an impact on the school system to make the system better. So when we see people protesting school board meetings due to curriculum that's not necessarily within the purview of the school district well let's you know that's an interesting comment let's look at this pragmatically the way it's really supposed to be working and it and um you know whenever you salt in the politics we we do run uh here um um as uh you know we have to state what party we're um uh we're with so politics does enter the uh, the situation um but um, think of an organization like a business. You've got a CEO and a board of directors. That would be the superintendent and you're elected by the public school board, meaning that that's the avenue that the public has to the school systems. So the, the, the board hires a superintendent and tells that superintendent, here's we're gonna approve the money that you can spend this year. We're gonna approve the policies and procedures that we feel uh, reflect the community's needs and wants in this area. Now you go and you perform your duties. So, you know, let's just say, let's get in the weeds a little bit. Say somebody, uh, the board feels that it's really important that we get better uh, test scores in math, science, and English, whatever. Um, and that that's a priority. We would then tell the superintendent that our priority next year is to improve test scores. Stop. It's then up to the superintendent to develop the plan and to implement the plan to try to get those numbers that the school board has asked them for. So when you get into discussing all of these issues that are political hot topics out there, at least as it relates to the state of Georgia, you got to hold the superintendent responsible um, when I say you, I mean the school board has to hold the superintendent responsible. So when the public comes to a school board meeting and they've got their ear ire up and they're talking about an issue that's very, very important to them, we listen. All my fellow board members and I listen and then we have to sort through what's real and what can be dealt with and how can we deal with it. And then we expect the superintendent and we make it clear to the superintendent what actions we want them to take. Now this is at the 40,000 foot view. So in other words, if somebody's upset about something going on at a school, school board doesn't get involved with, with the issues that are going on with operations. What they do is they tell the superintendent, there seems to be, and it all happens at a school board meeting and it happens with sidebar conversations. There's issues, more people are complaining about X or Y. We wanna see some action to resolve an issue. And, that's that person, the superintendent's job to deal with it, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So so speaking of resolving X and Y, there's been a lot of, there's been a huge increase in focus of critical theory, critical race theory, particularly in schools. Um, 
So what have you seen in your district? What have you done to battle that? I know you said that's kind of outside of the school district's purview, but. Well, you know, you've heard the saying that all politics is local. That's very, very, very true. I've seen it and experienced it my whole, um, my whole career. But what we're seeing now is all local politics is focused on national issues. Things are so divisive at the national level due to the media, due to all different types of things, that um, people, um, people are coming to school board meetings and they don't really know what's going on. They, they take a, what they think is a deep dive into their school system. They've never been to a school board meeting. They've never been involved. They come, they're upset. Um, CRT and the 1619 Project hit us about oh, six or eight months ago. We actually, uh, roughly six months ago, pardon, I don't remember what month it was. Uh, I was the author of a resolution to ban 1619, to ban critical race theory from our system, system in any way, shape or form. And unfortunately, by the time we passed that resolution, which passed unanimously, um, due to the rhetoric at the national level about critical race theory, um, things were just completely coming unglued. It wasn't enough. I mean, people wanted us to go read every sentence of every piece of curriculum, and if they found a word in the curriculum that they thought, thought was somehow connected somewhere with critical race theory down the road, I mean, it was totally, completely off the chain stuff, um, which we take serious. I mean, we listen and we look, we just don't have the resources to get into all of that all the time. We do expect people to point out to us when something's gone awry, uh, but we definitely, from a policy standpoint, do not support critical race theory. We do not support the 1619 Project. And we work diligently to make sure that our children are not exposed to those divisive and, and um, inappropriate um, levels of education. I think that's good to point out because at least on the conservative side of the media, it's just postulated that every school everywhere is teaching critical race theory to everybody. So it's good to hear, or I guess, it's good to hear that that isn't the case, that each school board, each locality is gonna be a little bit different. So I think that's just a nice, little bit more of a positive, I guess, takeaway. Well, what's nice about a, a podcast like this is that you can talk frankly, and if people are listening frankly, the, the reality is there's always more to a story and, and nothing is always black and white. There's always different shades of gray. So when, you're right. There are folks that I listen to that I really respect in the podcast world and in the media world. And we all, you know, listen to these different folks. And and what disturbs me is, although they may have the same general belief system I do, and I am a conservative, I'm proud to say that, um, is uh, that they'll paint with a broad brush that all school systems are a certain way or that all people look at things through a certain lens. And that's just not the case. There are many school boards that are completely conservative in their views and they have to deal with, unfortunately, a structure in education that's handed to them, that they have to make, you know, make the best of a bad situation. Um, and, and uh, you know, we've been very successful in Cherokee County um, developing a very good school system. But, uh, you know, there are always people out there that are gonna tear us down and try to tear us down, but you just keep, keep moving forward. So we had spoken privately before the show about the issue of curriculum 
and how those questions are normally best directed to the superintendent, correct? Do school districts have someone normally in charge of curriculum? I'm just saying that to try to prevent the amount of angry phone calls you guys get. Yeah, I mean, it's, okay, in our system, let's just talk like pragmatically about our system. 42,000 kids, 5,000 employees, give or take. Um, let's see, 42 or three learning facilities, food distribution warehouses on top of that, police our own police department. I mean, we are a large organization, right? There are many systems larger than us, that, but there are more systems smaller than us. So curriculum is one element of making sure that we're teaching and doing our jobs and dealing with the children of our community. Go back to what I said before, we hire a superintendent to, tea, to put in place the curriculum that we feel meets the needs of our community. If there's something that slips through the cracks, and my goodness, you know, we're talking K through 12, it can definitely happen. We expect and we appreciate that parents come to meetings and point out things that they discover, or it's better and quicker for them to get a resolution on an issue if they go right to the school board office we and I, as a school board member, expect the superintendent and his staff to deal with these problems as they come up. Now, I'm talking about this on a podcast. That doesn't mean these things come up every day, but they're going to happen. They happen in every system across the country. There's always things that, you know, um, that, that occur that need to be straightened out. I mean, it's a large, complex organization. So from the standpoint of the board, you expect that you have an organization that's set up to deal with all of these things and to keep the, uh, keep the system moving forward in the direction that the community wants it to move forward. And in our community, that is definitely not to support CRT, not to support um, the convoluted views of 1619 Project and all those things that go with it. That's an excellent point. Just pivoting a little bit, you talk about all politics being local, but now it's national news. We see a lot of national politics influencing local elections. And we see how a policy in Loudoun County, Virginia, with the whole transgender nonsense and how a student was assaulted. How do you think or, or why do you think the school board drama blew up to affect a governor's race? And how can conservatives carry this to future victories? Uh, that's a good question. Now, it gets complex, so let's try to break this down. Understand that a school board member is probably, other than a city councilman, is probably the lowest level of politics in the United States. What does that mean? Um, it means that we are responsible for those four things that I mentioned earlier about what's a school board's person's responsibility, right? There are things that we have no control over, and I can tell you, and I'll tell you right up front, we are getting confronted with the whole LGBT. Uh, issue, uh, the transgender issue, the uh, unisex bathroom issue, and our board is just completely, um, how do I say it diplomatically, not accepting, not willing to go down that road. Um, our attorneys tell us we have no choice. Um, these things have been um, fought in our courts and have made it up through the many district courts on, on appeal and I believe they're going to go to it's going to eventually be in the Supreme Court shortly and it, and school systems like ours have lost at every turn and so we're uh, you know we're dragging our feet implementing some of the things that these folks were very upset with in in Virginia 
the way you make that change is you change your governor and you change your legislature to, to pass laws that prevent some of this craziness from happening. Uh, and the reason I say that is a school board member, there's only so much a school board member can do. I'm not defending Loudoun County, but what I'm saying is, is you know, the battle needs to be fought, but the battle, you're in the wrong battlefield. Um, there's not much. I mean, I'm willing to go with you and march on the Capitol to get people to do stuff, um, but not, I mean, you can come talk to me all you want, but I can't do anything about it. And, you know, and that's, that. you know, I don't know what's going on in Virginia exactly, but that's the that's the reason uh, that you see the political shift in Virginia is the old, that's where the change needs to occur. You know the old saying that all that um, elections have consequences. By goodness, they sure have consequences, and people need to be very concerned in today's environment with the folks that are in power. Um, uh, you know about what the future holds. Um, so. I mean, we've always said that here on the Big Red Podcast. I've said it multiple times that we need to elect local. Uh, we need people at the state and local level, particularly at the state level when we think about strong state governors like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott, who are striking back in an ever-growing federal government. But, but to your point, if the state mandated that critical race theory had to be taught, then the school board's hands are tied, correct? Yeah, I mean, we, I spent a lot of time, and others do, uh, lobbying our, um, our elected officials at the state level about all these things. Thankfully, in Georgia, we are a red, a red state. Um, people say we're purple, and that may be true in some areas. I hope we're going to stay red. If we go blue, gosh, only knows the disaster that would have come to the state of Georgia. But, um, you know, so we have a friendly ear is what I'm saying when we talk to our legislators. So I'm if, if, if there was a shift to a blue-type state, I would still be talking to our, our elected officials at the Capitol about not implementing CRT and the reasons why that we wouldn't want to do that, along with all the other things that affect education. Um, and then it's just a, that's that's the American system, though. I mean, whatever party's in power, um, you know, you've got to negotiate. You've got to, you know, sometimes the facts, true facts, not what you see on the news, um, speak louder than words. Um, but, but. But that's another good call to get involved, particularly at the state and uh, local levels. We have to elect strong state officials so we can shift power eventually back to the states. Well, yeah. And so what we're talking about is with all of this, these phrases that we talk about, you, you know, and I, I talk to, to, to students and, and people all the time about being on the school board um, in our community. It, when politics is at the local level, it starts there. So it starts with your city council. It starts with your county commissioners. It starts with your state representatives, your state senators, um, and, and then your governor. Um, uh, these folks are the ones that pass laws that you all have, we all have to live by. So um, if you don't get involved at the local level, if you live in a community where you commute to work every morning 20 miles, and by the time you get home from work at night, you're tired and you don't have time to get involved, that's, you know, that's too bad um, because you got to get involved. You got to make people aware of what your feelings are and what impacts your family. And then you got to vote and you got to ask your neighbors to vote and to vote for candidates that, that have the same values that you have. And, and that's the American system. 
but um, you know, it's hard. It's for a lot when you're in a bedroom community where people move, leave the county to go to work. It's it's very difficult for folks to get involved. So the best thing they can do is vote and do the research on who's running. So to kind of kind of transition and pivot in this conversation a little bit. When we were talking before the show, I was interested to kind of pick your brain about what you thought uh, curriculum and the parents' involvement should be. You didn't really have the stereotypical cookie-cutter uh, conservative answer, so I just wanted to ask for all the listeners, uh, what what do you think the parents' role should be in determining curriculum? Well, certainly parents have a say in what's being taught. Um, the system is set up, and I can't speak for other states, I'm not that that familiar, but um, there are standards that are set by your state school board, in, at least in Georgia. Those standards then come down and, and there are uh, a set of deliverables depending on the subject matter that the state expects. And that's what they test to when you talk about standardized testing. Then the school system goes out. And when I say the school system, I'm not talking about the school board. Remember what I said, we hire a superintendent who hires a complete staff. They have a, in our case, we have a whole curriculum department. They go out and they do the research to buy a package or buy a set of textbooks, or you know, nowadays it's all electronic, but to buy that curriculum that best implements the standards that the state has dictated they're gonna test to, right? So when you go out and you buy from company X a curriculum for uh, you know, grades K through five, for example, um, I would expect that, that the folks at the board office who are experts, these are folks that have PhDs in education, actually look at the curriculum, actually read the curriculum, actually think about the curriculum and sort through it. But certainly some parents who have the time and the energy or feel something's not right, take a deep dive into that. If there's something that they sense is not right or they think is not right or they have a question about, they have every right to go to the school um, administration and ask about that. And I expect as a school board member that we answer them about it. And if they find something that's not right, we change it. And, and that's the way that works. Um, if I were to sense in other school board members that there's a subversive movement towards one direction or another that we didn't believe in, for example, CRT, we would take action with the leader of the system, which is the, the superintendent. Now that's not the case, but my radar antenna are up and any good school board member would be aware. I work closely with the superintendent as well as my fellow board members to talk about these things. And um, it's just not a perfect world, um, but it's how do we react? It's, it's like you buy a new car and it has a defect. You take it back to the dealer. Okay, how does the dealer treat you? Do they listen to you? Do they fix the problem? You know, that's the same kind of thing that I expect as it relates to our school system. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. 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 So I, I think the knee jerk reaction of politics is to do the complete opposite of what your opponent's doing. So when the Democrats said the parents should have no input in your child's education, the Republican knee jerk reaction was to say, oh, oh, well, parents should should have all the input. Yeah. So, and again, so I'll say the reality of it, and I am a conservative, but this is the reality of it. You have, <clears throat> I tell people this all the time, unfortunately, public education is the government. Let's say that again. Public education is the government by its nature. You, The school board is a taxing authority. We tax the public. We gain funds. 
Our, our job is to spend that money the best way possible. And our, our dictate from the public is to educate the mass of the public, right? Well, then you've got what the state sets up in our case in Georgia is the State Department of Education that somebody has to decide how much English, how much math, how much gym class, you know, all those types of things. So that's where those, remember I talked about the, um, the, the um, directive from the state comes down and then we go out and we have to implement that because they test that stuff. Um, that's what has to, uh, that's, that has to happen. I mean, I, I, I ask anybody to tell me how in that scenario, that is the government, there has to be a system to try to do the best we can across the most people as we can. Um, and we talk about smaller government and all that kind of thing, but um, that's the system that was handed to me when I got on the school board. And that's the way most systems in the United States are set up. Um, it, you know, we have to confront that reality that if you're a parent that believes strongly in a particular piece of curriculum, there are ways for you to lobby the state to add it to the, you know, to, to create a larger um, uh, window for that part of the curriculum. Uh, your local school board is very limited on what they can do as it relates to specifics like that. That's that's very helpful to understand. It, it's good for people like me who don't understand how a school board works to, to learn more about the ins and outs. I think that's helpful. So I wanted to talk more about this now that it's really back in the news, but school closures in the COVID-19 pandemic. What did Cherokee County do during COVID? I know you were on the school board at that time. How did how did you lead your students and your school district through the COVID pandemic? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because I think, well, of course I'm not a doctor, medical doctor, but I am trained in problem solving. That's what I do for a living is run a manufacturing organization. I've been doing it for 35, 40 years. Um, and um, believe me, if you've ever been in manufacturing, that's problem solving. But um, as I said, I was on, I've been on the board for 18 years. And when COVID hit in early 2020, we all had to get through that school year with, with the issues that were going on and nobody knew how bad COVID was and so forth. We went into the summer of 2020 and that's when you started to see in the national news about the teachers unions shutting school systems down, certain states shutting schools down, mask mandates out the, you know, out the wazoo. Um, I can tell you this, we created our board unanimously, seven of us on our board said we will open on August 3rd, 2020 to, to full in-classroom situation. We will do our best to social distance. We did some things in, in the buildings and with us and you know all those types of things. We are not and have not mandated a mask requirement for students. We did in 2020 mandate that our employees, the teachers, the bus drivers, uh, so the, the uh, food service workers and so forth, wear a mask but not students. <clears throat> and we had a, um, an 81 or 83 page document that spelled out exactly how we were gonna open and what we were gonna do given all kinds of conditions. Uh, Vice President Pence actually called us and said that that was the most comprehensive plan he had ever seen. We opened, we went all through that school year. We did offer a digital option. At first, 25% of our student population chose the digital option, 75% went to school in person. 
Um, I caught heck in emails about people thinking that I was, you know, a child murderer and all these crazy things. But we held our ground. We made it through the year. We were very successful. Our students are not behind as you would think they are in New York or California or some of these places where, where or Chicago where schools are still not open or kids are wearing masks. So here we are in 2021, no mask mandate for employees now, employees or for students. Um, Omicron is going crazy, but guess what? I get reports every day about, now remember what I said, 42,000 kids, 5,000 employees get a report every day that tells me what is the incidence of positive rates, hospitalizations, and deaths? And it's, uh, you know, the picture that's from that subgroup of 50,000, um, we're on the right track. Our kids are in school and they're learning. Kids do get positive um, Omicron, uh, you know, uh, tests, but they're back in school in three days. They don't, most of the time they're asymptomatic. Um, there are people that have comorbidity issues that need to be careful and they need to take precautions. I'm not saying you can't wear a mask. I'm just saying I'm not going to mandate you take a, you have a mask. Um, I don't believe in mandating the uh, vaccinations, but I would certainly encourage anybody to get a vaccination. I think everybody should. I just don't feel it's the government's responsibility to mandate that you get vaccinated. Yeah, and that, I mean, vaccination standpoint, that's the exact same position we have here. You know, very pro-vax, but do believe that it's not the government's job to mandate it. And that's really cool that uh, my, that you that the vice president at the time called, um, not congratulating you, but saying that you complimenting the, the comprehensive, complimenting how comprehensive your plan was. I feel like the VP today would probably give you a little bit of a different call, but. Yeah, today's thing, yeah, probably. Um, and here's another interesting question that is outside, it's kind of outside the normal stereotypical conservative view. So what would, so what's your view on charter, sco charter schools versus, and public schools and the voucher system, you know, I know what the knee-jerk conservative reaction is, but I think your view is a little bit more real world. Well. You know, I'm, I'm, I've said I'm a conservative. I believe that, um, you know, we want to keep the government, the government has a role to play, but we need to, keep, to minimize the role of government in our lives. That is true. But we do have a population that needs to be educated. And one of the, one of the things, the reality is that um, um, charters, the whole concept of a charter school was basically developed to do what they call break the cycle. So let's say you're in the inner city in an urban environment and it's a cycle of failure. The schools are bad. Uh, living conditions are bad. Parents that are working for minimum wage don't have options to get out of that cycle. That someone can go in and start a school that lifts up and provides a better option for people education-wise. Um, that's what they were designed for. In, I'm sure it's gotta be similar in other states, but let's speak to this fact in, in Georgia. So the Georgia Constitution says basically that if tax dollars are accumulated to spend on education, you got to have an oversight body. And that oversight body in our community is the school board. So if somebody wants to come into our community and, and start a charter school, we, we have a very good re working relationship with a few charter schools uh, in our community. Um, but if somebody wants to come in and start a charter school, 
they have to fulfill a few things. They have to get approval by the school board to start the charter school. And a lot of people are like, wait a minute, that's like wolf in the hen house. What's that mean? Well, what it means is the constitution of the state of Georgia says that the, the, the governing body that oversees the spending of tax dollars on education is the school board because they are elected. A charter school is run by a private entity typically that has no accountability to the public. But the accountability is through the school system a lot. You know, we, our job would be to oversee their budget and to make sure that they're spending money appropriately and all those types of things. That's why the school board has to approve a charter school. Okay, so I'm, I don't mean to take a lot of your time, but real quick, school schools have to meet all kinds of mandates, whether they're federal or state. Like you gotta teach every kid no matter what their disability is, no matter what their conditions are, no matter you know what, for example. Um, but charter schools are typically uh, not beholden to 40% of the mandates of public schools. They're just exempted. They're exempted. Um, and they have the ultimate ace, which is if we have a kid that's uh, got a severe learning disability, we, we put forth all the energy that we can to educate that, that child. Um, and some we, we have we call them hundred thousand dollar kids. We spend a hundred thousand dollars or more a year to educate one kid, um, one child. Um, a charter school can just say, "Nah, we don't want you. You're not welcome here." Um, then when we turn around as a Republican Party, we say, "Oh, but we're going to compare test scores between a charter school and the local high school." Well, they're not the same. Matter of fact, most of the time, if you look across the spectrum of America. Charter schools don't perform at the rate everybody thinks they do. Many of them are failures. But the ones that excel, is it fair to compare to a local high school that's dealing with all these more mandates, that's dealing with every child that comes in they have to educate? I would say this, the public schools, especially in our district, are doing a pretty darn good job. You know, that's not to critique the, the charter school, you know, but um, to say that it's competition, that's not competition. That's not free market. If you want to really be free market, take the restrictions off public schools. You got all these people in public schools that have PhDs. Let them go teach kids. And then if they fail, now you got an argument, right? Um, but it's very difficult to do that when you're dealing with the mass of the public and all of the kids that are coming with different languages. And you know, we have to deal with all those folks, do the best we can to educate all of them. It gets complicated, but that's the reality on boots on the ground and what's going on with charter schools. Same is true with, with vouchers. I mean, if you want to say you can take your child and take your $8,000 a year or whatever it is and go to a, pub, a private school and, and do it, um, that doesn't solve any problems in the public school system. What does that do? It kind of violates, in Georgia anyway, the whole concept of, of having a governing body overseeing the spending of of uh, funds. Now, if you don't believe in that, you don't believe that's the structure, again, let's go back to all, election, all elections matter. You need to be talking about your governor and your state reps because the school board doesn't change those laws. We can't say we want to do it different. That's, that's, the state constitution is driven by, by our um, you know, state legislature and the governor. So, As we begin to wrap up kind of on our, on our time today, uh, we had, I've heard a little bit of this story, but you've previously had a, a conflict with the Republican Party. 
you kind of got kicked out and then you and then you came back so so i mean just you know not necessarily naming names but just that's kind of a cool story so please tell me a little well more. this is this is an interesting story if, you, if people that are out there and i i give you a lot of credit because i was one of them if you're out there and you're thinking about running for your local school board or you're thinking about running for your local you know um, city council or whatever whatever it is you want to dip your toe in the water of politics one of the things people ask me all the time about is is what advice can you give me and one of the things i tell them about a school board is um can you do you have the intestinal fortitude to sit there with a um, issue on the table that you have to vote on you have to vote for item a or item b we're going to go to the left or we're going to go to the right whatever we're going to do and neither one of them Neither one of those choices matches your core values and your beliefs. Neither one of them. What you fall back on is what you're elected to do. You aren't elected to be a conservative. You're not elected to be a liberal. You're not elected for those things. You're elected to do the best you can to educate the kids in your community, given the way it's structured today. So um, I, we had a situation where we had a nefarious group of folks in the Republican Party at the state level. Um, I say that because they were way out on the fringe, pushing a charter school in our community. Um, it was, it was, um, um, it didn't meet all the standards that I'm required to vote on, that my fellow board members are required to vote on to allow a charter school to open. We actually reached out to them and said, here, let us help you fulfill all the obligations that you need to become a successful and approved charter school. And they said, "Get a, you know, we don't want to hear from you. We voted it down. We voted their application down. And that created a big um, um, ruckus at the state level that actually caused the governor to change the, the state constitution a little bit. Um, but the Republican Party turned around and voted me out of the party, along with some of my peers, but I was kicked out. Then I was gerrymandered out of my position. Now this community here is a highly conservative red county. So um, people then got very upset that I got booted out. Two years later, I, you know, where I happened to be um, a district for, I was able to run for school board again, and I won with 73% of the vote. Um, so the, the head of the Republican Party then came to me and apologized and said, and I don't need to name names or anything, and basically said that he felt he had been schnookered by uh, an extreme part of the party. Throughout that, that's an interesting story because that's local politics at the local level, way down at the bottom, school board level. But if, if I didn't have the intestinal fortitude to fight the fight, to keep the concept of our kids and our school system in the forefront. Um, there, I know many folks that would just not, they'd have said, ah, screw this, why am I doing this? I mean, why? I don't, I mean, I don't get paid anything to do this. Um, but, but, you know, I hope in the future we see a lot of people that have the fortitude to just say, you know, I'm in it for what, you know, the kids. I mean, there's no personal gain in this for me, and I, I caught heck for it, but I kept, kept fighting. And I think a lot of people are gonna do that going forward based on principles and based on what my job is that I was elected to do. So I, I don't know, I, it is an interesting story. But. I really like that. I think 
you know, a nice takeaway is having the intestinal fortitude to go against your party. I think there's a lot of people at all levels of government, government or politics or society in general who who wouldn't don't who don't have that fortitude. So I think that's a that's an important characteristic that we need to be looking for in. Well, uh, I mean, you, you you know, we without getting into a lot of detail. So whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you got certain beliefs and you, you, you know, but nothing is pure. And I'm, I believe in the conservative view of the world. And I believe in smaller government. I believe in the Second Amendment. I can go right down the list of things. But when you get elected to an office like school board, what is it that's your objective? It isn't to create charter schools. It isn't to create a voucher program to further rob public education of the, the needs. You, the, your job is to make the school system operate effectively and to educate the kids. That's the job. So you get your nose in there and you work on that. And we've been very successful with some things here that helped us um, achieve that. And I'll give you an example of what we did. Um, <clears throat> you know, we have most, I, I hear this all the time because I travel the, the country, but um, we created what was we call a modified calendar. So our summer is very short. It's six weeks long, our summer. It's not a year-round calendar. It still is. We have the summers off, but it's only six weeks. So we finish in uh, early June, and we are back by August, um, by the beginning of August. And um, the reason we did that is we put one-week vacations or breaks after each semester and they're timed out through the season right after the semester. And the reason for that is we test at the end of a semester. And if you test and you've got kids that um, fail or need remediation, when are you going to remediate them? If you don't have that break, that week we put classes in place and we put a structure in place to remediate these kids to bring them back up to where they need to be. In other words, address the problem. So we change the structure of the way the system runs to address the needs of the kids that are in our system and our test scores went up. We actually had for a while when I was board chair, we had for two or three years, we had the highest test scores in the state of Georgia. Um, and if we would have been a state instead of a county, we'd have been like number nine at that point in time. Now we're not there today for a lot of different reasons, but that's how complex education is. But my point is there are only certain things the school board was capable of changing. And we had to look at what can we affect change on. And we did with the calendar and we put remediation in place to bring kids up to, you know, up to grade level when they weren't performing. And, you know, basically we were addressing the needs. Awesome. I think that's all the, that's all the time we have for this week. So thank you so much. Well, thanks for inviting me. Uh, it's been great. I appreciate it. No problem. Always appreciate your input and private conversations. And obviously thanks for helping out the podcast this week. So this is, this is Big Red signing off. Uh, this is Big Red for the Big Red for America show. See you all next week. Did you like what you heard this week? Make sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. You can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms from our site on Anchor FM. If you want to follow us on social media, you'll see our link down in the description. And if you really like it, make sure you share this podcast with all your friends. That's one of the best ways that you can help this podcast grow. Thank you all so much. See you next time.